Hello, I want to say hi to all of our locations. I'm going to start with a confession. I stole a TV, okay? Now, please stay with me on this. In college, while studying to be a pastor at a Christian university, I stole a TV. Some of you are wondering, like, did you really? No, I did. Um, so listen, here's what played out. Freshman year, which should be a bit of a disclaimer right off the bat. We're in our dorm room playing video games or studying, whichever, I forget what I told my parents, but we were playing video games. And uh, we're, we're starting a, a Madden football tournament. If you didn't play video games or don't know that, you're like, what's that? Don't worry about it. Video games, football combined. Well, class got in the way of our plan, and so we didn't go to class. But in the midst of that, another decision came to our minds. It was dumb. Uh, we didn't like the size of our TV in our dorm room. None of us came to college with a TV that was amazing. There was an amazing TV in the rec room of our dorm. It was awesome. I mean, it was, it was a big TV. And we thought, well, I mean, there's not very many people going to the rec room to watch TV Let's go borrow it. I don't know if you've ever justified something dumb that you've done. Uh, that's what, that was our justification that when we were done with our tournament, we would simply return the TV. Well, the tournament lasted days and days. And uh, at one moment, we're playing and our RA walks into the room. Our RA, if you don't know what that is, was the guy uh, basically in charge of our floor, in charge of that, that level there. And he said, hey, can I play? And we're like, sure, yeah, sure, sure. And we're sitting there going, are, are we out? It is, uh, well, he played and, and it's fine, he lost. We beat him. We're like, yeah. Uh, and wasn't too long after that, our RD came in, the resident director, the guy in charge of the whole dorm. Comes in, hey, can I play? <laughs> like, oh, no. We don't know if we should pray because, well, frankly, what we're doing, we know that the prayer's not, God's not going to be a part of this. So we just be like, okay, let's hope that this goes as smooth. So he starts playing, no joke, he's playing next to my buddy on the couch. And uh, I remember hearing this as the RD was playing. Hey, fellas, is that the TV from the rec room? Now, I don't know if you've ever been in this scenario where you've done something you should not have done. And someone appears to ask if you've done what you should not have done. Here's what I can tell you went through this guy preparing to be a pastor's mind. There's a list of things we could do. One, we could probably tackle him, tie him up, and maybe get a, no. We could just run. And, or, it was one of those moments that the lists, the list of all the different options of what we could say and what we could do regarded us getting arrested or just being tons and tons of trouble. And so eventually, we just kind of softly uttered, um, yes, sir. <laughs> it was one of those moments, there was just no way out. It's frustrating when that happens. We were completely caught. No good excuse. He knew it. We realized that you're not here to play video games. You're here to catch us completely caught. I wonder if you've been there before. If you say no, you're lying right there and you just got caught. The Bible, this is exactly what happens. The way the Bible plays out, you start with creation, how everything gets made. 
And then you hear about Adam and Eve and how there's, hey, enjoy paradise. It's going to be amazing. There's just this kind of one tree don't eat from. They eat from the tree. And then we learn that within a short amount of time, they're having a conversation with God going, hey, what's up? And they're probably having the same list. And they're, well, we could, well, we could run and hide, which is what they were doing. We could, and eventually there's this, we got caught. We're in this moment. There's no way out. We don't know what to do. So, and that's the Bible. That's how it plays out. And if you read the Bible, you move from Adam and Eve and paradise, and this is awesome, to where it gets like crazy and bad real fast. If you move on uh, to about oh, the fourth chapter in, you'll learn about the first murder, where we're going from we're in paradise to people are now killing each other. Then it progresses even worse and worse. And the description we get is that God looked at the world and basically said, all of you are wicked except for just this little bit. And that's where, if you've ever read about or learned about the ark and the world getting flooded, that all played out. It was so wicked. I don't know if you've ever, it was so bad what was going on. People had, had gone away from God's best so poorly. They were just messed up that God's like, I got to literally flood this place. That's the Bible. Not the whole Bible. In fact, if, if you're unfamiliar with this, this, this thing is made up with six different movements. And you start off and you'll read about creation. And then you'll quickly get to some of the cool stuff at the very beginning. And then all of a sudden, uh, someone makes a mistake, makes a sin. They, they go against what God said. And then we get to crazy town. In fact, I'll describe to you crazy town that's in what's called the Old Testament. Where people would do the simplest things that would be called sin. And they would just die or be killed. and It's horrific. In fact. Some of us, or at least we have friends, the reason we don't read this or some don't read it because you read about a God that's supposed to be loving and then you read some of this stuff and you're like, that's not loving. That's horrible. In fact, that's why some people, it happens all the time, whenever we do a, a wedding in a church, people, you see people kind of going, am I allowed to be in here? Or is there lightning coming down from somewhere? Some of us treat God that way. I don't know if you've ever been there where you, where you had this interpretation of God going, if you don't do what he says, he's going to kill you or things are going to go bad. And if you read the Old Testament, that's the first part of the Bible, it kind of feels like God is this mean, angry, old man. And we don't know what to do with it unless someone teaches you what to do with it. God is not a hateful God. He's amazing. And if you've ever opened up the Bible and said, you know what, this is kind of confusing when I read this about God and what God's allowing and what God's doing. Well, if you ever feel confused by it, uh, join the, the majority. And as a church, we've been going after, let's, let's declutter this. Let's, let's make sense of this. And God is not hateful. In fact, I want to show you, I want to show you something. The Lord passed in front of Moses. Perhaps you remember the story about Moses calling out Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger. I am slow to anger. I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. 
Don't answer out loud, but I wonder if you've ever read about Jesus, heard about Jesus, how he loves us. And, and he was like, hey, you know, someone asked you for a little bit, be super generous, you know, forgive each other, take care of each other. But then you read stories in the Old Testament about a God who seems very full of judgment and harsh. And, and we're like, how, how, do, how does this compare? I'd like, I'd like to explain this. So in this series, we started off with the the first two movements in the Bible that you need to know about. Creation, it's all wonderful. The fall, dun, dun, dun. it's when everything seems to fall apart and begins to unfold in wickedness and people just running from God, not paying attention to God and it getting crazy. I wanna take you to the third movement of the Bible. A promise. When you begin to read the Bible, it's, it's very easy to get uh, into what they call Genesis chapter 10 and 11 and 12. But then, then you have this massive chunk of reading here. Like it's a big part of the Bible. And it begins to be filled with all these stories. I don't know if you ever read, this. it's full of rules. Huh? Who doesn't want to read a new rule? That's fun. <laughs> no, it's not. Full of rules and regulations and some that don't make sense at all. But don't miss it. We learn about a promise. Not only a promise, a promise made between God the Almighty and a human being. Just, would you for a second, don't skip through a bunch of this and just realize that the Almighty Creator, who should have, I mean, just think about this. I mean, when you think about it, we screwed it up, be like, all right, I'm done. I'm going to go on to a new project because these people are crazy. He decides, God, to make a promise to a human being. It shows you a little bit about the character of God that you and I are supposed to grab and understand from the Old Testament. Let me take you back to my moment in college. When I stole the TV, I can tell you I stole the TV now because, well, it went public, it was great. See, I stole the TV but I found myself, after getting caught, sitting in this office with my, what was called my resident director, the guy who kind of was in charge. And, and I remember sitting in the chair, and here's what I knew, because I'd heard stories that if you break some of these major rules, they kick you out of college. And I began to process, I don't know if you've ever done this, like where, where we're, okay, this news is going to hit this person. And I've been thinking about my parents. Okay, mom and dad who were like, oh, we're so excited. Our son's going off to college to study to be a preacher. It's his freshman year. We have high hopes. And then I'm watching, in my mind, this real play out going, hey, mom and dad, uh, can you pick me up? I just got kicked out. Why? I stole a TV. And I begin to process that. Walk. Well, as I'm sitting with this guy, he could tell that I'm sweating on the verge of crying, hoping maybe if I cry in front of him, this will help a little bit. And he says, I see that you're pretty worried and stressed out. Let me just tell you something right now, right now. We're not kicking you out. And obviously, in that moment, I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I can hide this from my parents forever. Well, he began to tell me, like, there's going to be some punishment. Uh, they put me on some curfew. I got the privilege of doing community service for many people. It's wonderful. But he said, we're not kicking you out. And he, you know what he said? David, you deserve to be kicked out. 
I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a moment where not only did you do something wrong, but then you've got someone going, hey, I have the rights, the privileges, and the role to bring punishment down on you. Most of us are like, yes, my parents did this all the time, right? If you've ever been in a situation where you deserved the worst, the case was against you, it was bad, and then all of a sudden, you are not getting punished the way you deserve to get punished. That's what's happening in the Old Testament. While God had a case against us, he brings mercy. And if you don't read the Old Testament, and sometimes you read it in a way that you're like, I'm not sure what's going on, and you struggle reading it because it's confusing, so you don't read it, you'll miss how merciful, how loving God is. And you'll get caught up in these stories that seem so extreme and painful and gruesome. Don't miss the fact that we deserve to be blown up and done with, and God made a promise. God did. Let me show you the promise. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. That's a big deal that God made a promise like that. He makes it to a guy named Abram. You probably have heard of him. If not, you, you know a guy named Abraham, same guy, got his name changed later. God makes a promise saying, basically, I am going to change the world through you. I'm going to bless you. This is going to be incredible. And we have this promise. But it's, it's not the purpose of the promise. You're like, some of you are like, I want to be promised some land and generations. And that fame sounds kind of fun, right? No, that's not the purpose of the promise. The purpose of the promise was redemption. God's looking amongst the world he created, the people he created, and he's offering redemption. If you've ever been confused by this, or let's just say you've got a friend who's confused by this, and you're like, you know what, you Christians seem kind of judgmental, hateful. And you've got this version of God that you want, where he's loving, he's compassionate. You might have even loved the actual verse that I shared with you. Like, that's awesome. But then you've, you've got a guy who oftentimes brings judgment. When you read this, you're reading about redemption over and over and over and over again. My concern was that we wouldn't all understand redemption. So let, let, let me show you. The action of saving or being saved from sin, error, or evil. What I find absolutely beautiful about God is that you and I, let's just call us the human race, we all like screwed it up and God's response to that was like, I would like to provide redemption. Eventually we'll get to Jesus. But even before we get to Jesus, we see evidence from God of redemption, of God trying to save us. Do you know that if you were to study the Bible, you would see a cycle that I think is even relevant to today? Someone screws up. Let's call it sin. Let's call it what it is, sin. Sin. Someone goes against what God said to do. Sin. And it leads to oppression. Now, at first glance, well, that seems a bit extreme, David. Come on. Like, I don't go to, like, a, like, this major dark place. No, no, oppression. When you don't do things God's way, you go to this place, you go to this, this moment where you're like, this is not the best. This is not the best option. Some of you might call this rock bottom. You, you, you might call it your worst hour. 
You, you might call it your worst day. I don't know what you call it, but this, when you don't do what God says to do, you land in this place going, well, I'm not a part of God's best. There's this oppression, this trap, this problem. Things are unfolding. Relationships see this all the time. In a marriage, someone makes a choice and it leads to some major breakdown. If you do something that you shouldn't do at work or at school, you do something and then it leads to these consequences, this oppression. Well, the way the cycle plays out, you could get here to repentance and then you can get here to deliverance from your, well, your rock bottom. Most of us love this, like deliverance, that sounds awesome. I mean, I'd like to be delivered from my whatever atrocity, whatever's going on, my problem, whether you created it or someone else did. I want to point something out. It's this right here. If you would give me your undivided attention, I want you to understand that getting from here to here requires here. And many of us see that as an easy skip. Let's just do it. Have you ever had to say, I'm sorry? My guess is you're like me, where some moments you're like, you said it, and it was easier than other moments where you're like, I, it was like the words wouldn't even come out of your mouth. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you were hurt by that, right? The, the worst of the apologies. But see, repentance is not simply just saying, I'm sorry. See, repentance inside of it is a much more meaningful word. Repentance is not just a, I'm sorry I got caught with a TV in my dorm room. I'm sorry that I'm about to be punished and have these consequences. Repentance is, I'm sorry, and I'm going to do life differently. In other words, I was not trustworthy, and now I'm going to be trustworthy. If you've ever had anyone ever break your confidence, betray you, do something that they, well, regretted and that you regretted, and you find yourself with an absence of trust in the relationship, either the relationship goes away or, or the person who broke the trust decides to try to be trustworthy. If you read the Bible, you'll go quickly from perfect in paradise to people being untrustworthy and trustworthy. And here's what you need to know. You know this about relationships. When a relationship gets wrecked, trust needs to be restored. See, sometimes we're thinking like God's response to our sin, like when we, when we show ourselves that we are not trustworthy to God, like where we break his trust, we're like, hey, you, you trusted me to do this and, and I didn't do that. We typically like, hey, God, I'm sorry, uh, you know, just, just, just move on. When a relationship gets wrecked, trust needs restored. If you've been there in a normal relationship, you know exactly what I'm talking about, the need for trust. So let me take you back to the cycle and show you something. This has everything to do with trust. Repentance. I would tell you that those who are unwilling to repent have trust issues. They don't trust themselves. They don't trust others. The idea of offering to someone, I'm I'm sorry, I'm gonna do this differently. When we refuse to, it's saying, I don't trust you with this. I wrestled with it when I'm having to confess about a TV <laughs> that I borrowed for a certain amount of time. Wrestled with it, can I, can I trust you with the truth, right? 
I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands on this. But I wonder if I were to ask this question. I, I just wonder. I'm not asking the question, but I wonder if I were to ask the question. Do you ever struggle trusting God? Don't answer out loud. In your, in your heart of hearts, in your quiet time, alone, do you ever find yourself looking at what God is doing and not doing and wrestle with, can I trust you, God? Perhaps your prayer life is even, even different where you're like, can I even pray this? Because if he doesn't do what I asked him to do, then, I, then maybe I can't trust him. Some of us actually don't pray to God boldly because we're afraid our trust is gonna get rocked. Some of us have prayed bold prayers and our trust got rocked. Some of us have encountered problems in life, wrestled through stuff, storms, and our trust. I'm telling you, almost all of us, I might say all of us, have wrestled with trust. And I need, to, I need to give you a bit of an insight as to why you and I wrestle with trust. Because this was not always the case the way it is the case now. You and I live in a time right now where trust has a major problem. I'll prove it. Let me, let me, let me, let me prove it. The 2018 Edelman Trust Barometer reveals that trust in the U.S. has suffered the largest ever recorded drop in the survey's history among the general population. Now, some of you just jump to politics. You're like, that's why. Um, maybe partly. But I just want to bring up the fact that that did not talk about politics. You and I live in a time, do you remember the old days? Some of you don't, where you could offer a handshake and that was good. Nowadays, if we do anything, there's like 75 pages of multiple signatures weaving in and out of all of the options that you and I could deceive another person. Do you see that we live in a time now that even the simplest things don't have trust. Here's where the article gets after that you and I, it's not just politics, it's our neighbors. It's why a lot of us now, and I'm not saying you shouldn't, I'm just bringing up reality, that a lot of us have cameras at every corner of our house. I'm not saying you shouldn't, it's revealing that you and I live in a current culture right now where it's trust no one. Do you see how that can leak over to God? Just for a second, be willing to admit that perhaps your distrust of other people or the bad people, whatever you want to call it, is leaking over to God, yet God asks for your trust. The Old Testament is not confusing when you know trust is a major topic. In fact, the, the, the promise that God makes to Abram, do you know that he even demands trust? The Lord had said to Abram, I promise you, all right, but, but listen to this, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. Now, some of you would gladly leave your family. You're like, please, God, ask me to do that. Now, or at least your relatives, you're like, mm, thank you very much, and you're glad that you don't live near your relatives. But you need to understand what God is saying. He's putting on the table. All right, I'm about to promise you the most amazing, but it must have trust. Many of us right now are trying to have a relationship with God, to be connected with God without absolute trust. God demands trust. If you want any healthy relationship, trust. You gotta have trust. And that is the subject of the story.
trusting God. Let me help. Let me help. I think this will help. If you ever open up your Bible or open up the app to the Bible, whichever you do, either one, and you begin to open it up and you go a little bit to, to the beginning of Genesis and you read about creation, sweet, cool, cool, cool. Oh, murder, not so good. Let's keep moving. Oh, there's a flood, rainbow, that's awesome. And when you get to the 12th chapter, which you notice it's pretty close, when you get to the 12th chapter, all the way to Jesus, you know what the subject is? Trusting in God. You'll read about all different kinds of people from all over the place and how they wrestle with trust. And in fact, my guess is about you. I'm not casting judgment on you. I bet one of the major issues that you've got with God is trusting God. That's why the Bible is so relevant. Many of us, all of us in our moments struggle with trusting God. I mean, I can, I can show you what happened. And so Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. Yay, him. God tells him to just leave everybody, leave all his comfort, leave what he knows, leave the people that he loves, yeah, and just go. And he does. And you're like, and the Bible seems like it doesn't even relate to us because we're like, leave all of that? Oh my goodness, that's crazy. He must be a superhero. Uh-uh. He trusted. He trusted. But then he encounters a moment not too long after where he doesn't trust God. He runs into some tension. The, a famine pushes he and his crew down to Egypt. And he finds himself going, I feel scared. I feel threatened. Oh, no, people might kill us. So let's not pretend to be husband and wife. He tells his wife, hey, you're going to be my sister for a little bit. Some of you are like, that's creepy. And I agree with you. But that's how he thought he could protect me. What, what he's doing is saying, you know, God won't pull this off, so I'm taking over. You ever said that? Don't say it, don't you? I have. That's a quote from me. Perhaps you've got the same quote where God calls you something like, I trust you. Perhaps you've been in a moment where you trusted God with your salvation. You're like, I'm going to heaven. Yeah, this is awesome. You got baptized. I trust God. This is awesome. And then there's this moment that happened that you're like, uh, God's not going to pull this off. He's, he's busy. He's got some stuff. I'm taking over. If you're a normal human being, you've had this moment where you decided to take over. Where you started with the day going, you know, hashtag blessed. Hashtag life is good. Posted a picture that looked like your life was perfect. But then you went and lived the day and you got that jerk that you work with or that you live with. Or you had that financial thing. You looked at your, your bank account later going, hashtag cursed. Hashtag life is bad. Have you ever had the moment where you started with, this is great, life is good, I trust God? And then all of a sudden, you didn't feel that anymore? Do you know what happened? It's called pressure. Pressure does things to you and I. It's been doing something to you for a long time. Now, some of you were good in middle school. <laughs> Remember middle school? Some of you like don't remind me of middle school. They say middle school is like the pinnacle of peer pressure. Where, where students say things to each other that no human being should ever say to another human being is typically middle school. Do you remember peer pressure? Some of you still feel it. 
how peer pressure caused many of us to make decisions we otherwise would have never made. Or maybe for you, was it? Maybe you were you're like, I, I don't care what people think. Maybe for you, it was more academic or athletic pressure. Or maybe you got older and it was job pressure, financial pressure. Or maybe it was family pressure. All of us know pressure. And I'm telling you, no matter what age you are, pressure has a tendency to do things to us that we deny is being done. Let me give you an example. I wonder, have you ever seen a ref and a coach have a friendly interaction on the field? Um, Where a coach is screaming at a ref? You ever ever seen this? Um, I picked, you know, one of the one of the Broncos, I just, they, they're doing a lot of screaming in the last five years. But anyways, uh, I don't, you probably have seen these moments. If you don't watch football, don't worry, you don't have to watch football to know this. Really, right now, you can go to like five-year-old soccer games and, and pretty much find this stuff. I have seen a high schooler get screamed out at a game they weren't technically keeping score. Right, okay. Here's why I bring this up. Someone did a study on whether or not yelling at the ref makes a difference. I bet you have your own opinion. You ever done that? Where where you're looking like, why are they even yelling? It doesn't make any difference. They're not gonna change their call. It's no big deal. Well, well, hold on. A scientist did a study of the NFL specifically. Over 1,500 different games. And what they discovered was something that you may have thought was true, but was, we weren't sure, that the ref actually does feel, over the course of the game, pressure. And oftentimes, and they, and they report it, here's what happens. Whatever coach is closest to the ref making the call, if they apply some pressure, the ref will change their call. It's a proven fact that oftentimes, if a ref is there and they can feel, let's say, feel the presence of the coach, that that pressure will affect maybe not exactly that call, but the next one. It's proven. And many of us right now would say, pressure doesn't affect me. I think it does. In fact, I would tell you, I think, I think pressure is affecting our trust. If you want to know why do we have a problem with trust in the U.S., why do we have a problem with trust in God specifically, I think the pressures of life have us focused entirely on the pressures. And do you know that God happened to say, hey, I have something that will help with the pressure in life. In fact, in the article about the U.S. not having trust, here's what the writer said. Trust is only going to be regained when the truth moves back to center stage. I I would if I could beg you to listen to what I'm about to say. I think trusting God is worth it. I think trusting God daily and nightly over and over and over again is worth it. But I'm also gonna tell you, it's difficult. 
So what I can do is share with you what I have learned, what I have seen actually play out and truly work. Here, choose his promise over your pressure. That whenever you feel pressure, whenever you feel like life is, we call it coming down on us. That, you know what we're saying when we say this? We're feeling the pressure of life, the pressure of relationships, the pressure of a bad health diagnosis, the pressure of finances, the pressure of the unknown is coming down on us and we're like, oh no. And I wonder what you've been paying attention to. The pressure or the promises that God gives us that by the way, are located in here. I thought I'd give you just, just a few in case you haven't read this very much. God promises to be your protector. That when you feel in fear, when you feel like you are facing almost like spiritual warfare, like the devil has your name and he's only going after you. And you feel that pressure? Well, let, me, let me show you something. The Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and guard you from the evil one. Here's what I would contend. If you have a day that you feel like the evil one has decided to go after you, you're gonna need to remind yourself of a promise from God or otherwise the pressure is going to get you. Let me show you another one. God promises to be your provider. If you've ever wondered, like, how are we going to pay bills or, or all of a sudden you've got this, this moment that you needed more money and you don't really have all that money or, or you just feel like the, the, the pressure that you just got to keep working harder and harder and harder and, and you are your own provider. Well, in the Bible, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. That's, that's sacrifice for God. That's show your trustworthiness. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Sounds like he's saying, I'd like you to trust me. One of my favorite promises in the Bible, God promises to restore your soul. If you've ever been in places I've been in life where you feel like your soul has taken a hit and you need restoration. There's many places in the Bible that show this promise. Here's one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. He will restore you. What I love about this one is if you trust God to take care of vengeance, You'll be forgiven. Trusting in God is the subject of the story. Don't let the Bible get so confusing to you that you put it down and let pressure dominate your life. You don't have to. The Old Testament's full of story after story after story after story of trusting in God and the pressure loses. I hope you'll dive in. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, God, I have a hunch that there are a lot of people right now listening who feel pressure. Um, Lord, I, I feel like 
many of us have this pressure that we would call life or whatever we give it a name of, that, God, that, that we need your help with. We, God, would you, would you intervene in our lives and address the pressure that we're feeling, whatever that pressure is? God, I don't think any of us want to succumb to the pressure. So Lord, would you guide us? Um, God, if there is a story in the Old Testament that, that one of us needs to read, God, would you bring it to our minds or have someone bring it to our mind so that we can read it and learn how to deal with our pressure? God, would you help us as a church to trust you no matter what we're feeling? Lord, I pray for those right now who feel overwhelmed by pressure. Would you intervene? Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you intervene in their lives and give them the promises they desperately need to hang on to? God, thanks for meeting us. Thank you for this divine moment that I think many of us are in where you answered a prayer that we even had yet to pray. Thanks for meeting us in this moment. We love you, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.